0: It's a hot, sultry evening, and in a huge packed stadium in the capital city, excitement is building. A red carpet has been laid out, and more than 10,000 people have squeezed into sold out concrete seats for the premiere of a new film. It's got explosions, soaring shots of the African jungle and nail-biting action scenes. But this isn't the latest Hollywood blockbuster. The crowd in the stadium in Bangui, the capital of the Central African Republic, is watching a film called Tourist. And it's incredibly slick, very well-made, Russian propaganda. It's a film about Wagner mercenaries, and it shows them bravely fighting off the rebels and propping up the government in the Central African Republic. The film is all part of their creeping takeover of the country.
1: The Russian takeover in the Central African Republic is so extensive across every institution, political, military, cultural media that is as if the country has become sort of a zombie state, unable to operate on its own initiative without consulting first Wagner's mercenary chiefs.
0: So what's going on? What is the man known as Putin's chef, the head of Wagner, up to in Africa? And what's Russia's long game in this impoverished, diamond-rich country? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how Russia's Wagner Group took over the Central African Republic.
1: My name's Anthony Lloyd. I'm a foreign correspondent for The Times. I've just come back from assignment in the Central African Republic.
0: Anthony is one of the most experienced war correspondents in the business. And in the 30 years since he began writing for The Times, he's covered war zones in places like Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria and Ukraine. But his latest assignment presented him with an exceptionally unusual scene.
1: I was present at an exorcism of a young girl. I guess she was about six or seven, no older than that. It's not the first exorcism I've seen. However, what was really interesting this time was it was performed in the Central African Republic's capital, Bangui, in St. Andre's Russian Orthodox Church. I had an appointment there to see the priest, who is Monsignor Sergi Voyemawa. He is the first Central African priest whose fealty is to, to the Moscow patriarchy. So I went in and the church was empty apart from Monseigneur Sergi, who was standing praying above this very young girl. She was seated on a wooden stool, her head bowed with candles lit on the floor either side of her. As he was doing these prayers, he was swinging the thurible, which is the, the container of burning incense, on the end of a chain in his hand so that these kind of swirls of incense were rolling out across the floor of the church. It was quite a thing to see. And I remember afterwards looking, I was wondering what suggestion there was that this child was in some way possessed, the nice antidote. Yeah. Angelic-looking child with ribbons in her hair, kind of looking back at me and smiling. And I was thinking, could be anything. She could have been fevered with malaria and had bad dreams in the fever, she could have had epilepsy, she could have just had been run down by malnutrition or something like that that had caused in that land where there is you know entrenched traditional superstition it could have caused her parents to believe that she was in some way possessed, but as much as the ritual itself was the identity of the man performing it. I mean, this was incredible. The first Central African to owe his kind of spiritual fealty to the the Moscow patriarchy of the Orthodox Church.
0: Tell us a bit about that. How does he come to be the representative of the Russian Orthodox Church?
1: He was 41 years old, and originally he'd been baptised as Catholic and raised as a Catholic, and he had been a priest for some time, but then for reasons he didn't quite define he said that russia's presence in the central African republic had led him to explore avenues as he describes it with the moscow patriarchy and those had led him to travel to moscow last year to study theology and he now was absolutely a representative of the moscow patriarchy and he changed his name to monsignor Serki, he had a russian name but uh, Recently, since 2018, the Russian presence in the C.A.R. has become far more intense and far more broad spectrum across every tenet of life there. And it was really no surprise that that had begun to percolate into religion, too.
0: So interesting. And we want to talk about Russia's role in in C.A.R. in just a moment. But before we do, just remind us, because a lot of people won't have been to the Central African Republic. It's not a place that gets very much airtime when it comes to reporting the news. Just remind us a bit about the country.
1: The Central African Republic, CAR as it's more, more commonly known, was for a time a French colony. It gained its independence in 1960 and has been prone to a series of coups, counter-coups, really ever since. Um, the irony is that it's got one of the worst poverty indexes in the world, I mean, it's right down there at the bottom. I think over 71% of its population live on less than $1.60 a, a day. Uh, its population, I think, believe about 5.4 million, of whom well over 700,000 are internally displaced living in camps inside the country and another figure of well over 700,000 are refugees living outside of the country. These are people displaced by war.
0: It's clearly a really difficult place to be and then on top of that since 2018 you sort of transpose a whole new layer of complication. Tell us a bit about that. Tell us what was it that took you out to CAR in the first place?
1: So Just to step back a little bit to 2018, you have this extremely vulnerable, impoverished country, riven by cycles of war. You've got a United Nations, a MINUSCA mission, technically a peacekeeping mission. That's been there since 2014, about 14,000 UN troops, give or take. Then you've had around five recent French missions, technically peacekeeping soldiers. The last of the French soldiers left the country in December last year. However, despite the presence of the United Nations soldiers, despite the presence of the French, the capital is under threat. The president there, President Touadira, is deeply concerned that, he's, that the city's going to be overrun. Rebel groups are fighting one another to control a country larger than France, rich in minerals, diamonds and gold. The president requests actually French help. The French don't give him any more help. But the United Nations Security Council approves a request by the president for a partial lifting of the arms embargo to allow Russian weapons and Russian military advisers to come in and train President Toidera's crumbling army.
0: Wow. I mean, that's, that's unusual. That, that makes it sound like the UN are OK with Wagner.
1: Well, the advisers that came over then did not call themselves Wagner. The origins were pretty murky even then, and three Russian journalists who went to C.A.R. in 2018 to investigate the identity of the military advisors who were turning up and and where the weapons were coming from, in turn ended up dead, and fingers have always pointed to Wagner as being behind those killings, but uh, military advisors and Russian weapons came over. Originally, I think it was something like a first 175, give or take, batch of the first Russian military advisors who turned up in 2018. Now, officially, you've got the Russians admitting to 1,890 Wagner Group personnel there. But in fact, the true figure is likely to be two or three times more than that. And you've got Wagner members now not just advising and training, but as active participants in the war.
0: We'll talk a bit more about what Wagner are doing there in just a moment. But for you, arriving in this country where Wagner clearly have a huge presence, where, as you said, back in 2018, three Russian journalists were killed for trying to investigate what Wagner were doing on the ground. What does it feel like at the moment to be a journalist arriving in CAR?
1: I was very transparent before I went in contacting everybody from the presidency and CAR through the various ministries to let them know that I was coming, that I was a Times journalist. In a climate of intense suspicion and acute hostility between East and West and particularly Russia and Britain, I didn't want to make one wrong move. So you see Wagner Group, not everywhere, but in an awful lot of places. And they're, they're armed and they're masked, even in the street, buying trainers in the market.
0: That sounds quite alarming.
1: You're under surveillance. I mean, I expected it. You know, I was immediately aware that I was under surveillance from day one. I was having supper in this very small, relatively discreet hotel with uh, someone that I was working with. And we were alone in this empty room. And then this uh, couple came up and sat. On a table, unnaturally near us, and then start taking selfie videos of one another with us yeah. right behind them, you know, and being relatively surveillance aware. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what's going on there. You know, we're being filmed. The next night, it was a little more sophisticated. A couple of guys came in, put down a couple of books on a table, a couple of tables away, put a packet of cigarettes on top of the books, which were angled towards us. And then they sat there for an hour and a half without smoking a cigarette. and You could tell by looking out, caught your eye, there was something wrong with the top of the lid of the cigarette. There was a little black square cut out. So again, we were being filmed then. And Anthony, you
0: sort of described how, you know, as you're going around the streets, you will see masked Wagner fighters on the ground. You'll see them around. Just give us a sense at the moment in CAR of just how extensive their influences. You talked about them being quite political. Give us a sense of what their role is in that country.
1: Wagner Group's role is different in different areas of the country. Bangui, the capital, they have secured And they want to keep that very stable. You do get reports of heavy handedness. There was one local restaurant which had been closed because it was late at night and some Wagner group guys had turned up and asked for a drink. And the doorman said, sorry, the place is closed. And they beat him terribly badly to the point the guy was pissing blood. But by and large, the city itself is relatively stable, relatively secure, relatively peaceful. And Wagner wants it to remain like that. Out in the rural areas, out in the jungle, out in the savannah, Wagner are conducting counterinsurgency operations. They're fighting the rebels in mining areas which Wagner might want to secure for themselves or for Russian mining companies to take Uh. over for mining concessions in gold, in diamonds, and in some cases in timber areas as well. Yeah, this isn't all about
0: helping the local government.
1: It's not all about helping the local government. I was thinking about it the other day and talking about it to somebody, and there was quite a good historical analogy, I thought. And it was that of privateers, say British privateers at sea in the 18th, 17th and 18th century. They would have a letter of mark. Now, a letter of mark was given to them by the British authorities. Those privateers, kind of glorified pirates, would represent British sovereign interests, but they would also be allowed to you know, extend their operations to serve their own business interests. And I think this is a really good analogy for Wagner Group and CAR. On the one hand, they're representing Russian national interests there. On the other hand, they're, they've also got their own business interests there.
0: You said that Wagner is very involved politically, but it's not just advising on military matters. They're even advising the president. Tell us a bit about that.
1: So... The president at the moment has got a security advisor who is a Russian veteran of the French foreign legion. Vitaly Pertholev, he's 40 years old, also a veteran of of Russian campaigns in Syria and the Ukraine. But he's far more than just a security advisor. His offices are actually in the presidency right next door to the president's, And uh, he advises President Twiderio on all sorts of issues. And in fact, Twiderio would not pass any legislation off his own bat with first running it past Vitaly. So his influence is such that ambassadors, foreign ambassadors, should I say in car, refer to Perifilev as the president.
0: So he's effectively seen as the actual president of the country. He's the one calling the shots.
1: He's seen as the guy who gives the yay or nay to major decisions. Yeah, he's the guy calling the shots.
0: This is a Russian mercenary.
1: This is a Russian mercenary. He would uh, possibly describe himself as, as something else, I imagine. I mean, of course, Russians see their presence around the world in a rather different way than the West sees them, and they certainly regard our criticism of them as often hypocritical. But basically, this is a Wagner Group operative, a guy, skilled guy, fairly complex individual. This is not someone in the, in the kind of thuggish mould of some of the Wagner commanders in Bakhmut. This is someone who's multilingual, who has to have a very clear awareness, not just of the developments and setbacks in an insurgency. This is a multi-layer operation. This is counterinsurgency. This is information. This is a a military influence business operation.
0: Anthony, the picture you're painting is one of Wagner having tentacles all across the bits of the economy in CAR and government. Just give us a sense, how much are they trying to prop up that government
1: while they're there? The Wagner Group have already started initiating ways to alter the constitution in favour of having their man have a third term in power, which would protract the ease of their own operations there. So while working on this story, I went to go and see the head, former head, head judge of the constitutional court Uh, A lady, 71 years old, Professor Danielle Darlan. So last year, just two weeks after the Russian invasion of Ukraine began, Professor Darlan, then head of the Constitutional Court, was approached by two Russians. They came to her and they said, look, the president is the only man capable of stabilising this country. How can we examine ways to keep him in power for a third term by altering the Constitution? She said they were so blatant about it that she was really shocked. And she said, look, you can't alter the Constitution to give him a third term. He's expressly not allowed to have a third term. And uh, she was due to remain judge, the head judge of the Constitutional Court until 2024. But as of October last year, she finds that her job has just been removed from her.
0: For her to be able to talk to you about it while she's still in the country, I mean, that is extraordinarily brave, isn't it?
1: Yeah, when I found her, so she was at her home and she had two teams of armed UN soldiers living in her house and outside her house, which the UN had given her actually immediately that she was pushed out of her, her job because the UN interpreted her life as being in danger. She said, I didn't even have to ask for it. The UN just said, your life is in danger here are some soldiers. Uh, She was very articulate about the whole thing, and this is quite remarkable given that it's a country where most people are frightened of speaking to a journalist for the consequences they might face.
0: Coming up, how Russian vodka is part of Wagner's campaign in the CAR. That's in just a moment. arrived in the CAR, they've managed to extend their influence in political and military spheres. Is it also bleeding into other parts of life? I mean, are they having a, a cultural impact?
1: So a couple of years ago, the stadium, there's a Chinese-built stadium there, it's been there for years and years, big stadium in Bangui, that filled up for the premiere night of Tourist. Tourist was a film made by a Russian company absolutely affiliated with Prigozhin, the leader of Wagner and who made a series of films over the last few years, triumphing uh, various Russian heroes. This premiered in the stadium, which was absolutely packed by Central Africans. And the film was introduced by a whole lot of Wagner group mercenaries who said, yeah, this is what we're about. You know, the film, of course, you can see the kind of, you know, Western backed rebel groups doing horrible things and the good people of C.A.R. saved by Wagner. And that went down really well. then you've got the Russian penetration of local media. They fund a radio station called Sengo, which pumps out some very strong anti-French messaging, anti-UN messaging, pro-Russian messaging. I went to wow. go and see the guys at Sengo and said, hey, I want to interview you. And they're like, oh, no, we've we got to put that to our Russian boss tomorrow. And if he agrees, then uh, you can see us. And if he doesn't, you can't. Actually, he didn't agree. Um, then you've got, you know, the Russian sort of business takeover of in business sectors like the alcohol sector. A Russian distillery is making Russian vodka there, Wanawa, which is uh, sold in sachets. It's made in the Central African Republic with Russian technology. It's strong, but it's okay. It gives you energy. It's quite a sort of classy way to go out drinking. Everyone should always have a sash, sachet, one or wire in their pocket. You know what I mean, in case you run out of wine. But also um, <laughs> the beer. Now there's a Russian brewery, a oh, funded brewery, brewing Africa Tilor. Africa Tilor is a bit more expensive than the beer traditionally drunk by Central Africans, which is the French brewer Castel brews Mokaf. But as of last autumn, the Russians are now rivaling it with their beer. That turned a little bit violent uh in march Ooh. this year yeah so the french brewery castel which makes mocaf found that their brewery kept getting drone overflights mysterious kind of drones spying on them then messages started going out on lengo sengo the russian back radio that in fact french money from mocaf was going into supporting rebel groups therefore if you drink mocaf you are supporting rebels then you got a few demonstrations outside the french brewery there then in the early hours of march 7th you got cctv footage at the french brewery picking up i think it was five or seven masked guys in civilian clothes white guys turning up and in a short intense petrol bomb attack they bunged about 30 molotov cocktails over the wall into the french brewery the fire was put out And I spoke to some of the Castell officials there, and they were absolutely sure that it was Wagner Group behind the arson attack. But it was as much, I think, a warning as an attempt as an arson attack on, on the brewery intending to burn it down.
0: Anthony, just explain. Wagner are clearly making huge efforts in this country. What exactly is it that Russia wants with a presence in CAR?
1: The Russians want to position themselves geopolitically in an area which traditionally in this case used to be French. You've got potentially the massive emergence of markets there in something like 10 years time. It's going to be a fifth of the world population. And there are a lot of natural resources, you know, gold, diamonds. Timber, potentially oil in some countries too. There could be a lot of revenue milked by Wagner Group if they handle themselves well. So it's manifold. It's not just business, it's also leverage against the West. It's seeking potential alliances with African allies parallel to um, the fault lines opening up around the war in Ukraine.
0: And that's really interesting because, you know, if they are sort of almost empire building. They are sort of establishing a presence in Africa, potentially allies for the future. How well are they doing that? I mean, when you walk around, what do people in CAR make of Wagner?
1: Locals have varying views on the presence of the Russians in CAR. It rather depends on whether you're in a city, whether you're in a rural area, what your sectarian grouping is, what your tribal grouping is, what your clan grouping is. I spoke to one woman, for example, Maryam, She was 42. She was a mother. She had been gang raped three times over an 11-year period by rebel groups before the arrival of Wagner. So these are the people who'd raped her, who Wagner are now fighting against. Now, her mother had been murdered in front of her during the first of those gang rapes. Now, she told me, I don't feel comfortable with the Russians, but my area is now more stable since the Russians have arrived." You know, the rebels cannot just rampage into it, killing and raping as they want now that the Russians are there. So there's that argument. However, I also spoke to a human rights lawyer who is from PK-5, one of the contested areas, or restive areas, I think would be more accurate, of Bangui, And he said that he had documented over 300 rapes perpetrated, he said, by Russians against local women since 2021. But it's very, very difficult really trying to verify details. Um, show me horrible photographs, mutilation, corpses, death, undoubtedly bad things are happening beyond Bangui city limits. But who exactly was doing those things, to whom, who might have seen it, when and where was a lot more difficult to work out. Um, but uh, there are, of course, a variety of other serious and credible allegations against the Russians.
0: Brave human rights abuses, including rape, summary executions, targeted killings, torture, forced disappearances, murders and other abuses.
1: I mean, we're talking about war crimes here. One thing the Russians are undoubtedly doing is taking profits from natural resources in CAR, profits from you know, concessions, from gold mines, from diamonds, from the timber industry. Uh, may I add that kind of business behavior is very little different to many of the colonial powers in Africa. So there's two sides to this. And in the general argument which we face, certainly in Ukraine, which is that of essentially democracy versus authoritarianism, of liberty versus becoming a vassal state of Russia, those arguments are slightly abstract in the CAR, where there's an incredibly impoverished population who know no security at all, but for some of whom the presence of Russians Allows them more stability than they had before the Russians, before Wagner Group arrived.
0: And Anthony, Wagner has a presence in a number of African countries, but you know there are very few that have the, the the same level of control as they have in in CAR at the moment. Can you see them trying to replicate that elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I think they are trying to replicate it elsewhere. However, Wagner Group haven't had it all their own way. The African continent is a very tough continent to work in. So. Loosely, in Libya, the Russians still have a presence, but the Wagner-backed operation to try and seize Tripoli in support of Marshal Khalifa Haftar, that failed.
0: Libyan media say these men are Russian mercenaries fleeing Tripoli's front lines. Private Russian fighters from the Wagner group have helped try and take the capital from Libya's internationally recognised government.
1: Then you've got Wagner Group operating in Mozambique. Well, really, their mission now is the failure. They came up against Islamic State-related fighters. Uh, You've got them operating in Sudan, where they're in support of Hermetic, the leader of the RSF.
0: The clashes are between two rival military factions, the Sudanese army on one side and the paramilitary fighters of the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, on the other.
1: It's very unclear what's going to happen to the RSF in, in Sudan. But if the RSF are defeated, then that could blow back on their operations elsewhere. Looking at Mali as well, Wagner Group's trying to set up an expanded footprint there. We're talking now about 1,000 contractors from Wagner arriving in Mali to, to train, to arm, to secure the, uh, the presidency. State institutions in Mali are far more cohesive, far stronger than they are in CAR. So they've been far less liable to handing out mineral concessions willy-nilly to Wagner. Also, contextually, now the Americans are very switched on to what the Russians are doing in Africa. Lavrov toured, I think, four African states last July.
0: Vladimir Putin's top deputy is in
1: Africa. To take the president's anti-West message directly to the continent... Russia hopes to turn anger and social strife across Africa to its
0: advantage, and it could possibly find a receptive audience.
1: Since Lavrov tour, you've had the American Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, going around visiting African nations as well with America's message. It's very, very good to be back uh, in Africa at, uh, I think, a very important moment, a uh, moment of, uh, of hope. Uh, I look forward to talking about that with, uh, with you, the Prime Minister. Uh, and the work we're doing together in a number of, of other areas. And, you know, for example, in the CAR, America funds most of the humanitarian operations there. President Twidera cannot cut all his links with the West without, you know, bringing dramatic negative effects and consequence to his country, too. It's a complicated environment, and the West are wising up fast to the presence. Of Russia in Africa.
0: And what's next for Russia's presence in CAR for its takeover of power?
1: It seems that the presidency want to run a referendum so the constitution can be changed and President Twidera technically could have the cap lifted on his two terms in power and have a third term. Now, remembering that. The illiteracy rate is something like 63% in that country that hardly anyone outside the cities has got access to social media, an internet, a phone signal or anything like that. If you have a referendum and you're controlling the levers of power, you'll be able to make that referendum result in, in pretty much whatever you want. But opposition groups have said that their parties will boycott the local elections if the referendum is going to be run too. There are local elections penned for July this year. Now that produces potentially protest, potentially violent protest. It's the kind of thing that sometimes has triggered coups before. So there'll be a lot of questions for the Russians to answer in CAR, for the president to, to answer, for the presidency to answer. Do we want to provoke the risk of protests, potentially violent protests, potentially coups, by trying to run this referendum parallel to elections?
0: given that so much is pinned on this one referendum this summer. I mean, you mentioned earlier this incredibly brave female judge who had tried to put a stop to it. How does she feel about the fact that it's happening?
1: She said, look, four of our last coups have come about in recent history as a result of presidents trying to artificially extend their power. If the president tries to alter the Constitution, even on the back of a referendum, that is an act of treason and trouble will come. So
0: it might not be plain sailing for the, for, for the Russians after all.
1: If their chosen man, President Tuadera, tried to extend his term of power, it'll be difficult for the Russians to know the outcome of that. Does it actually stabilise the country? Or does it produce more problems than they thought it might quell? We will see, possibly in July this year.
0: been listening to stories of our times a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of the times and the sunday times with me manveen rana and my guest anthony lloyd senior foreign correspondent at the times you can find all of anthony's recent work from the car at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription the producer today was olivia case the executive producer is kate ford and sound design was by tom birchall If you enjoyed this episode, if you found it a handy guide, then please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.